The early emulsive colors of the jewels, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shields, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For the day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. On the inside here, sorry that she got an outline that should help you as we look through this passage. It's split up into three sections. You'll notice that after our score and after our statement in the sand, the word Selah is there. And that's part of the original text. And you see the three notes probably means it's a musical term. And most commentators think that it means uh, to sort of pause and have a moment of reflection. So it reminded Sam based upon where the sailors are, and I think that it works. But as you look through it, you can see really that the big thing about Sam 84, the big theme of it, is about the joy of being in God's presence. And let me say from the onset what I hope we can get from looking at this. I hope Psalm 84 will stir up our hearts to long for eternity with Jesus. Because to be honest, I think the idea of heaven, or the idea of the new creation, has become um, somewhat of an embarrassing talking point, even for especially among Christians. We often like to think about things that we can do here and now, things that will affect us in this life, and not worry too much about the future. And it's staggering that we do that because we are made for eternity. That's what we're going to spend the rest of our lives. That is what Jesus died to bring us into, to bring us into eternal life with God. And by all rights, that should be what our hearts are yearning for. And so I really hope that as we look at Saturday before this morning, we will leave here today longing to be with Christ, longing for eternity with Him. And I think that if we do have that, as God has already said, we will learn to live better now. So there's three points there, three sections to the sound. But the first thing we see in verses 1 to 4 is this desire, this desire to be in God's dwelling place. Now, for the psalmist, it will be forever in the Old Testament and um, the dwelling place of God was the temple in Jerusalem. That was uh, the physical place, uh, the physical space where people could come and meet with God. It was the connecting point between God and humanity. So from all over Israel, people would journey to Jerusalem so that they could be with this God, so they could meet with Him. And this wasn't just some sort of mindless religious pilgrimage that the people felt they had to do to somehow appease God. Look at how the psalmist describes going to Jerusalem, going to see God's presence. There is nothing more thrilling than this. He passionately yearns for it. The words he uses here, my soul longs, yes it faints, my heart and my flesh sing for joy at the thought of being in this God's presence. This intense desire 
obey this. It's because he knows who God is. I don't know if you've ever been so enraptured by a particular person that the very environment that you're in seems to change. It's at a wedding yesterday, and the groom standing at the front looking very nervous. And, and he told me, he's like, I'm not nervous uh, about being married to Jenny, because his wife just nervous about this wedding. And so he was kind of fishy and panicky at the front. But as soon as the bride walked in, you could see the expression on his face change. And it was as if the whole room had just let off because she had entered. What was Samus? He's just going to a brick building. But this building, this temple, is a place of wonder for him. It's a lovely place because he knows the God who is there. He longs to be in his presence. And this is not some sort of selfish desire. But the psalmist just marvels that this God has opened up his presence to everyone. This God is available to anyone. And that's really what he's saying in verse 3. He says, even the sparrow finds a home. Even swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my Sparrows in the Bible, many things that are quite cute. The Bible are often uh, used to refer to the most sort of miracles of God's creation. So in Matthew 10, for example, Jesus will talk about uh, two sparrows will be sold for a penny. So they are seen as these really small, insignificant uh, creatures that God has made. But the psalmist says that even they, the most worthless of the creatures, can build a nest near God's presence. God is approachable, so approachable. And that is made more sounding when you look at how the psalmist describes God. Do you notice he calls him the Lord of hosts? Repeat a few times, a few times throughout the psalm. This is not some, this God that you come to approach. It's not some namby pamby deity. It's not one God amongst many. This is the one sovereign God of the entire universe. The one who commands a host of angelic armies. And he's king. He is God. I say phrase it in verse 3. He is my king. He is my God. It's personal. So you've got this awesome Lord of hosts. Who is this personal, approachable God? When he goes to God's dwelling place, the psalmist goes into the presence of one who is awesome and majesty and power, and is so approachable that even the spirals can make an nest in his altar. He is mighty. That is why there's this yearning to be with him, this yearning to be with this God, God who made him, God who made us for ourselves. And we've got to get clear, really, in our heads, how do we read Psalm 84 today? What does this mean for us? There isn't a special place that we go to to connect with God. The church building is not the same as the temple in the Old Testament. There is no special place. All that temple stuff in the Old Testament was ultimately there as a point for something far greater, something that Jesus would fulfill. See, in the temple, it's going to God's presence. You had to have sacrifice and you had to have a priest. But because we live in the time after Jesus, 
ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Therefore, we don't need the temple. And actually, therefore, the Bible says that we are now the temple of God. So the temple of God in the New Testament is the individual believer who trusts and follows Jesus. We have unhindered access to him at all times. We don't need to journey anywhere to meet with him, to speak to him. We can do it anywhere we are because of who Jesus is. What an immense privilege. You told the writer of Samuel 4 that that's what we could have. I think that would just blow his mind. We can meet with God anywhere. But that being said, we're not fully in the presence. Still, sense in which we are in the journey to be with them. And as followers of Jesus, we are heaven bound. And beyond that, bound for a new creation where we will be with Him in His entirety, where there will be nothing that is wrong or broken or twisted. We will see Christ in His fullness, of His beauty and of His joy. And so that passionate desire, that longing, that yearning that we should have as New Testament Christians. It is not to go to the temple, but to go to heaven, to be with Christ. That really should be one of the hallmarks of a follower of Jesus. Our desire is to be with our Savior. Not in some sort of um, ridiculous Philadelphia commercial, in some ethereal reality where we all float on clouds and wear a dress and play harps, but in a real place infinitely more beautiful and infinitely more wonderful than anything we have ever seen on this earth. Because God, who is the source of all that beauty, will be there in his entirety. That's our longing. And the way we can feel that longing is to do what sounds us. To remind ourselves of who this God is. In Christ we get a picture of God that is infinitely clearer than what the writer of Psalm 84 could have seen. It is by desiring more of Christ now, by feeding that desire now, that the prospect of spending eternity with him will, will just be overwhelming. And I have to ask, is that our desire? Do we desire Jesus? Because that really should be what marks a Christian. If church is just some sort of Sunday ritual, if the gospel is just some sort of means to the end, a kind of cosmic fire insurance plan, then why would you want to spend eternity with Jesus? The person who is converted, who has had their heart change, longs for Christ. You know, that desire for many of us often seems so faint and so frail. We find ourselves, I guess, I think I certainly did. One in the passion of Psalm 84. But we get that by not so much focusing on what will be in eternity, but on who will be in eternity, by feeding our affections for Christ now. That's it, in Belgium, every single one of us is, is a desire. We all have a desire for something. We all have in Belgium this, this pursuit of joy that we long for. But if we place desires that we have in us, on something that's temporal, something that's fleeting, however good it may be, it will let us down. We need something bigger. We need something more sufficient. That 
infinite desire. And when you come to follow Jesus, you come to the place where joy and satisfaction is seen in its most purest and perfect form. Because it all comes from him. To come to him is to come to that infinite flowing fountain of joy. And that is where our hearts are made for. That's why St. Augustine said that our hearts will be forever restless until they find their rest in God. So that should be the first thing that we have. It's the first thing we see in the psalm. There is a desire for Christ, a desire for God, a desire to be in his dwelling place. And if we want to be that desire, we need to know more of this King. Secondly, we'll see in verses 5 to 8, the difficult journey to God's dwelling place. So there's a desire there that the Psalms recognizes, but getting to that place where he meets with God is not an easy journey. It's often assumed, we've said this already, that if your heavenly minds will be of no earthly use, I would get very excited 
who in America sued his regime, sued his people. There will be no bad thing there. No wickedness will be there. No evil, nothing that is wrong or broken or deformed, nothing that is boring or defective or lacking. Nothing that's sick, twisted or hurtful. Nothing that feels empty or is wanting in some form. There will be no good thing withheld from the children of God. Perfect joy, love, peace, the right, fullness and satisfaction, consistently being poured out, and infinitely increasing in the sense of God. As we gaze on the one who is the source of it all. That's what it means to come into this God's presence, to be in his dwelling place. John Nevers is my hero.
church that would grow to the like and more. We would have a means to, to better enjoy the things of this life, whether they be a little or a lot. We would have the motivation to endure through life's difficulties. We would have a joy that would drive us to want to do evangelism, not feel that we need to do it. We would have an affection that would help us to become that sin. You have a right perspective in which to understand the world we live in. So, as we decided before this week, let's try and keep our head in clouds going to last week. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. To the point where we can say that our flesh and our heart fades for His cause. Thank you very much. Our hearts are made for us coming to the fountain of all joy and peace and love and kindness. Lord, the blessings of being in your presence are so overwhelming. When we look at them, we can barely imagine what they be like. Father, we cannot describe the wonders that await us in eternity with you. And Lord, when we see these blessings, we know that we don't deserve one bit of them. But we thank you that although we don't deserve it, our great King, the Lord Jesus, has made it possible. But that is what He wants for us. He wants us to be with Him. And because He has died for our sins, that is possible. That is the reality. Father, help us not to be embarrassed by the idea of heaven of the new creation. But Father, help us to really and passionately long for that so that we can be a few earthly use to you now. May we have that struggle in our hearts where we long to tell as many people about Jesus so that they can experience this joy, but also may we have that longing and that yearning and that desire to be with you in eternity. Thank you for these wonderful truths, Father, and help us to not 